Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Tressler. In this episode, I sit down with Max Burton, founder and chief designer of Matter, a design studio in San Francisco. We talk about the future of wearables, what he looks for when hiring designers, and what tech companies can learn from Nike's approach to product design. Enjoy the show. Hello, this is Mary Tressler. Today I'm here with Max Burton, who is a designer, founder and chief designer at Matter. Max, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I'd love to start off with you talking a little bit about how you found your way into the world of design. Sure. Um, as a kid, I was always uh, you know, interested in making things. I was a bit of a dreamer. Uh, I come from a family of creatives. My father was an architect and my mother was an artist. And as I was growing up, my parents uh, put a lot of creative stimuli around us as, the, uh, as children. So things to, to play with when we came home from school, clay or bits of wood, and uh, they would help us make things. So I was in an environment of creation and, and making. So it was very natural when I uh, graduated high school to, to go on to do something, a creative field that felt very natural for me. And when I discovered the field of industrial design, which was not until I was about 17 or 18, that I realized this was the perfect uh, profession for me. And, uh, and it's been, uh, I've realized it's been a, a great choice for me and I've been super happy doing it. Excellent. So w what was your first job out of, out of university, out of curiosity? Sure, so I graduated from Manchester Metropolitan University way back in 1989. <laughs> um, and uh, I w won a scholarship which was um, sp sponsored by the UK government um, and the Royal Society of Arts. And they basically helped place graduates into industry. Um, so I was, I was based in a company in Nottingham that manufactured uh, engineering basically engineering products for universities, so it would help, help students learn about engineering. And the products ranged everything from a jet engine to robots. Uh, and I, my first project was in this company was working on a, on a robot. And uh, it was great fun, you know, it's basically designing the interface of the robot, how it moved, uh, how it appeared, making it something that was easy to manufacture uh, and useful. Wow. Robots before all the buzz of robots, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, your firm, Matter. Um, so Matter designs products that are a combination of digital and physical, as I understand it. Could you talk a little bit about what the, the typical team makeup looks like? Yeah, I, I set up Matter uh, to work in this, uh, what I call the convergent space uh, that's both physical and digital. Um, so we have about uh, 10 interaction designers and then 10 industrial designers and our projects, uh, you know, use a combination of those different skill sets and capabilities. So a typical uh, project may have, um, you know, one or two industrial designers and one or two interaction designers. And they work together, uh, usually starting from an experience point of view first. So defining what the experience of that product should be. Mm -hmm. And then the outputs of that product are often uh, a physical artifact or a digital artifact. Interesting. Okay. And so do you have, um, do you have folks within those groups that are uh, specialists, for instance, you know, working on sort of the visual side or data or user research or how does that work? 
Well, on the on the digital side, or uh, there is a little bit more expertise in visual design, interaction design, and user needs. And mm-hmm. I think that's really because the the advances in software and and the sort of the the complexity of software has really required those levels of um, of understanding and and training. Industrial design, of course, requires usability, but it's often the the physical product side is often a little bit more about um, art and expression, mm-hmm. and and about making a statement in the marketplace. So it's very subjective, and and of course it has to be usable, and and of course we think about usability, but the emphasis is a bit more on 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 making a statement, whereas with software you have to design software to be usable. So we have a little bit more emphasis on on the usability of software. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a, a related question: Do you find, um, or maybe I should say this another way: Do the the digital designers have a firm understanding on industrial design, or what do you expect of of folks on the digital side for more of the physical? Well, yes, I think that um, you know we we try to. Uh, share as much as we can uh, you know physically in the space we sit next to each other we I've intentionally not uh, encouraged uh, in, in, the interaction designers to group themselves mm-hmm. together I've tried to disperse uh, the interaction designers amongst the industrial designers so mm-hmm. just by uh, the just the physical uh, locality that they are able to learn and understand um, but also the industrial designers have had to adopt new ways of learning and, and adopt new ways of understanding design because of that, hmm. um, of, of the world of interaction design and digital. Um, I think it's, it's really the, the two variables of time and space uh, that, um, that are new to industrial design. So they've had to pick up on, on a few skills as well. Mm-hmm. So learning from each other. Interesting. Yeah. Um, You've spoken about the importance of culture at, at your own company. Can you talk a little bit about what what are the things you've done to create a culture that enables innovation and collaboration? Yeah, I think you know, like I was mentioning before, um, we all uh, worked work in 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 one big creative area. So the the, the physical environment is important. Um, we've created a space that is very clearly non hierarchical. Um, it's really uh, about uh, the projects first and about the ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try, I try really hard to say, you know, we're going to work on this project. We're going to have a brainstorm. It really doesn't matter where the idea comes from. It's really about the quality of the thinking and the quality of the idea. And a good team, even if it's a, um, a director of a project on, on that team, is about recognizing that good idea and then championing it and making sure that it, it can see the light of day. So I really, you know, the idea can come from an intern, it can come from come from me. It doesn't really matter. I try to put the emphasis on the idea as opposed to uh, as opposed to position and and hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, and maybe I should have started with this. What is your current role at the company, and has it changed since you founded it? Uh, yes, well, my, um, you know, I'm just the founder, so I guess, um, you know, my title is principal designer <laughs> or CEO or whatever title um, changes changes week by week. But I think, <laughs> I think my my job now is different. Before, in the beginning, I was a little bit more involved in constructing the company, building it, and setting it um, on a course. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Now I try to um, act as an advisor uh, on the projects. So I come into the projects and, you know, basically using my years of experience and uh, basically nudge the project this way or that um, to, to ensure we, you know, deliver a great result and, and deliver high quality work. So it's really leveraging my years of experience um, my, my, and my perspective on design. But I really don't try to dominate too much. I really um, try to promote, promote and encourage the creatives on the team to do their best work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, really, it's really not about me. It's about, like I said, it's about the, the design work, the design, the thinking, the creative ideas. Mm-hmm. And, and I just really want to empower, empower the individuals at Matter to do their best work possible. That's awesome. Um, so what have you learned about yourself? as your company has grown? Well, I think designers are very, uh, I would say they're obsessive compulsive types. <laughs> they, they love to get very involved in, in something and see it out, every aspect, every detail, control everything <laughs> particularly. Um, I've had to let go, I've had to learn how to let go. And uh, running a business that I cannot be in, involved in everything uh, all the time, everywhere, so I've had to learn how to delegate and um, learn how to um, allow people to succeed and fail mm-hmm. and, learn, and allow them to, to, to go through the same learning curves that I went through. Um, and to do that means having, often means having a hands-off role uh, mm-hmm. in that leadership style. Mm, which can be hard, I'm sure, in the beginning. It's it's very hard, and <laughs> and I you know I've been doing matter uh, running matter now for about three years, and finally it's quite amazing because I'm seeing that the company can run quite well without me, and <laughs> that's uh, that's a measure of success I think. It is congratulations. It is it really is. Um, I, I want to kind of flip this and talk a little bit about uh, your clients. So. Um, what kind of clients do you work with um, and what's your criteria for deciding on on who you want to work with? Well, we have a mix of clients. Uh, I would say about a third uh, to a half of them are startup companies mm. and, the, and the other half are, uh, or two thirds maybe, is more established um, blue chip or uh, Fortune 500 companies like uh, Intel and Google and Samsung. So. The, uh, the more established clients are obviously more familiar to, to me and the, and the designers here. It's kind of uh, working with uh, internal teams that understand the process, they understand uh, what the deliverables are going to be, uh, the outputs of the creative effort. Uh, with working with startups, you're often uh, working with entrepreneurs who may not know much about product development or about design. Mm-hmm. And we we're often in a in a have a very different uh, role to play with those kind of clients. So in terms of how we choose, uh, I, I try to 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 seek work um, that's in this convergent space, mm-hmm. uh, physical and digital. So when we have those opportunities, I tend to gravitate towards those. Um, and you know we have to assess, especially on the, with the startup companies, whether or not the idea is a good one, uh, whether or not the uh, entrepreneur has the financial backing to actually pull it off, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not, you know, they may not have the actual 
skill in product development, but they have you know maybe skills in in um, in project management or or they understand marketing. Also, they have some something to bring to the table. So your history, in terms of your professional history, you've worked at uh, agencies um, as well as large companies. You've worked at what Smart Design and Nike. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what how you view the world given those experiences and how design at an agency may be different from design at a large company. Sure, I think it's changed in my throughout my career um, the emphasis of agency versus in-house. Um, I think uh, when I started at Smart Design, it was kind of the heyday of of the consultancy, and Smart Design was one of the the leading agencies. Um, mm-hmm. It still is one of the leading agencies, and uh, but it was amazing. I mean, we were working with uh, a lot of fantastic companies, um, and then I think there was this sort of pendulum swing where a lot of designers began to go in house, mm-hmm. and uh, and I also wanted to experience that as well. So that was my uh, period at Nike uh, for five years. I would say the biggest difference. Uh, it really depends on on the company. I think Nike is is a is a, a fantastic place to work because the designers there uh, are tr- are understood to be highly valuable and play a very pivotal role in the in the company. And it's very unlike a lot of other corporations. Um, so I'm not sure if my time at Nike. Is uh, can be said to be equal to other corporations. There are are others, of course, that that put design at such a high level. Um, but I felt that when I was at Nike, the designers were instrumental in defining what products they're going to work on. Hmm. We we actually would write the briefs uh, to our own products um, often, and. Uh, it was the designers who often um, came up with some of the most innovative products and product ideas. It didn't come from a, a separate marketing group. It didn't come from a strategy group. It often came from the designers. And that also, you know, the, the, the uh, executives uh, at Nike understood and valued design and allowed the designers that, that level of uh, uh, autonomy and, and uh, control. Mm. That's exciting. Um, how have how, how have the experiences that you've had both at at agencies, um, more obviously the correlation there, and in large companies, how have both of those types of experiences uh, informed your decisions for creating your own your own company and culture? Sure. Well, I after uh, you know after working at Nike for five years, I I felt it was uh, time to move to the Bay Area and understand what was going on in in the Silicon Valley. So I moved down uh, to San Francisco. I got a job at, at Frog Design, and Frog was or is one of the largest, uh, most famous uh, design firms in the world, mm-hmm. and it was very well known for for designing the first design language system for Apple in the eighties, um, and uh, uh, did many famous products um, throughout the 90s and 2000s, um, but I found that when I got there, that it had become very uh, a very large agency. Uh, it was focused very much on the the front end strategic part of design, mm-hmm. and was let and was less involved in delivering design. And for me, as a designer, that that I don't I, I personally found that. Um, Really not not interesting for what I what I wanted with my career. Uh, to, to me, design is not about strategy 
and uh, it is about delivery. If you don't deliver something, it's not design, it's something else. So I really felt like it was time to create my own company that, yes, we are involved in uh, front-end strategic work, but I, unless uh, we're thinking uh, and designing the, the process to a result, it's not, it's not interesting to me. So I'm, I'm very focused on, on, on doing as well as thinking. So uh, mm. that's, my, that's the emphasis. It's think and do, mm. not just think. Right. Thinking's great, but right. Um, interesting. Okay. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit, going back to the client side of things, I'd love to talk a little bit more about your interactions with clients and how you've worked through some of the, the interesting situations that can come about um, in that space. In particular, you know, do you have situations where you're working with clients and they may come to you with something they want uh, but you're not certain that what they're asking for is going to solve their problem, for instance? Uh, well, I mean, I would say that's probably more normal than... than oh, uh, really? Than not. Yeah, I would say most of the time it's vague. Uh, the client's not quite sure. Um, or they think they know what they want, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's I think, different once you start getting on t- into the project. And So I think I, it's it's very hard. I think sometimes... We can prepare a project plan that's fairly predictable with very defined sort of steps and, and deliverables. Mm. Um, often uh, we have to, often we're, we're, when it's less clear, uh, we do an, a, a phase zero or um, a discovery phase, which is about um, clarifying what the project is or what the product is. And the nice thing about that is it kind of allows. Um, the client to not worry about a large project uh, with a big fee and many months of, of work. Uh, we can focus on a, on a shorter phase, a few weeks long, where we collaboratively work together to define what the project should be. So I think I'm finding that that, that sort of phase zero or, or discovery phase is, um, is a good way of helping, of working with clients who may not know what they need yet uh, or 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 the definition of the product is unclear hmm that is an interesting position to be in isn't it that somebody's coming you to solve a problem and you're sort of stepping back and saying okay let's let's identify the problem yeah i mean i think you know i was was speaking to it earlier that how i noticed that uh, frog and companies like also like ido has has kind of transitioned slightly up further up in the in the beginning of product development to the sort of the strategic position. Um, so I, I do think that design has shifted from being about implementation to uh, problem definition. Um, but, you know, with the caveat that we have to combine, you know, strategic thinking with practical delivery at the same time. So those two can never be uh, disconnected in my view. Mm. That makes perfect sense, a balance. You, uh, you've you worked on wearables over the years, and I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about looking into your own crystal ball and telling me what you think the future of wearables looks like. Certainly. Um, well, I think wearables is an interesting uh, product area uh, because I think what's what we're seeing is uh, technology is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and more powerful and using less power. 
So you can put something on your wrist or somewhere else on your body that is, in a sense, a bit like a mini computer. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I think we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of interesting developments. You know, like let's say the Apple Watch um, or some of the Samsung, the Gear Gear Two Watch. These are, in my view, though, they're they're kind of they are like mini computers that are being put on the wrist. And the problem with that is it's actually quite difficult to interface with it. Even though you may have a, a fantastic screen with amazing graphics, the reality of you've got your finger is of a certain size and mm-hmm. your screen is of a certain size, and there's a very limited amount of functionality you can actually do on these these kind of wearables. So I, I actually see a, a, another uh, another vector for wearables, and uh, I worked while I was at uh, Frog. I worked on. Uh, the new uh, My Magic Plus for Disney, which mm-hmm. is uh, basically making the, the the park into a smart park, mm-hmm. um, and part of that um, part of that solution was a wearable that connected to the park. and And it, the great thing about this product is that it was actually a really really simple product. Um, it had uh, no display on it. Uh, it's a, a band you wear, um, but it's connected to the park, so it's connected to a series of sensors in the environment um, that. Uh, enable certain certain things like entry into the park or payment for merchandise or or food mm-hmm. or entry into your hotel door uh, without a key or access onto a ride uh, without having to wait in line. So a lot of these um, these this this uh, development in wearables requires an an environment that's networked and smart. So I see that this is a, a, a very exciting uh, new path uh, for wearables, where it's not about just you, you and the wearable. It's about you, the wearable, and the environment you're in. And I, I think that um, the work that was done at Disney is kind of indicative of, of where the future might go. Um, for example, you can imagine in the future that um, a city like San Francisco has uh, a similar kind of uh, network of sensors, and um, and that the uh, wearable could inter- uh, connect with that with the city, or you as a, a person in that city could connect with that city. So I, I think that's uh, a very like uh, likely future. And if someone thinks, well, that's crazy, cities uh, like San Francisco are uh, m- much more massive and complex than the park, the Disney park. Well, that's actually not even true because if you go to the Disney park. They have over 16 million guests a year. They have something like 30,000 restaurants in the park. They have, you know, complexity of uh, all of the hotels and resorts that guests go stay in. It's it's almost equal to San Francisco. So I think it's very likely future. Mm, that is interesting. It is a city. Yeah, uh, it is a city. Right. Um, talk to me a little bit about matter and what you look for when when bringing in new designers? What kind of skills or attitudes do you look for? Well, I think uh, you know. I think IDEO defined what they call the T-shaped designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's somebody with a deep expertise in, in in one specific area, but a general knowledge of others. And uh, I think we. I, I I look for that as well. I if if I'm taking on an industrial designer, for example, I expect that they have an amazing skill and talent in their area of designing and making physical product. But I also look for their ability now to to understand um, the digital world, uh, to understand interface, to understand experience design, 
um, and to be willing and uh, to to think of their their profession more broadly, and that that in today's uh, modern world, uh, you you need those kind of uh, broader thinking skills. So, and that applies again for the um, interaction designers that they must also be very skilled and very adept at their profession. Mm-hmm. But but at the same time, have an an interest and passion for the physical world and know how to work in in the physical world as well. So, you know, uh, we still have to deliver, we still have to make products. So that that depth of skill and knowledge in in one's area of expertise is required. But the ability to work with others is is also paramount. So I kind of look for those those two, those two, that T-shape approach. Mm. The other thing that I, you know, I'm I'm, uh, emphasizing a lot now as well is that design is kind of, in a way, moving towards uh, filmmaking, if you like, because uh, with experience design or, or service-based design, um, you're thinking about uh, a consumer's experience over time and space. So the best way to, um, to design in the, in, with that level of uh, complexity is, is by creating narratives and stories with characters. Mm. And I find this is a very good way to to anchor the team or to provide that sort of the guiding the guiding path for the designers to work towards if they can share the narrative then they can each go off in their areas of expertise and and create the the outputs from that narrative mhm that's that's a really interesting observation um when you look at what's going on in the world and why that's so needed because i've certainly seen a lot of a lot more folks interested in understanding storytelling for instance um and trying to gain that as a skill um which i imagine will be found in more more programs moving forward yeah Um, yeah we always um try to put um storytelling and and a narrative into the into our project plans and that might start in the beginning with defining uh, personas and characters mm-hmm. and then it's then it's creating a journey map um, or a day in the life of mm-hmm. a person and then throughout the program uh, the UX track uh, we further that um, that story and often we end the the project with a short three minute or five minute film uh, with live actors that basically s- explains how the product is used and and that's a very a very good method of communicating a product idea uh, that's physical and digital. Um, and we've, we've had a lot of success with that. Mm, that's excellent. Just a few more questions. What, what do you think the tech industry can learn from non-tech companies um, that have been design-driven like Nike? Sure. I think, uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of the, a lot of tech companies and they tend to be uh, either run or founded by engineers. Mm-hmm. And engineers are you know, I love I love working with engineers. They they have you know they're incredibly inventive. They know how things work and and they can put things together uh, in meaningful ways. Um, but they're often very obsessed in their area, and that's not exactly what the end user might want or consumers. So I think what um, designers do is they really think about the end user. They have that level of empathy, mm-hmm. and I also I think you know companies like Nike. Um, are 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 brand driven or design driven and and it is the focus is very much on on the user uh it's also the aspirational user it's the emotional side of of the product of a product experience not just the functional side 
And uh, so I think that's that's probably is is the emphasis that uh, the design or design-led companies. It's it's understanding the human, the 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 emotional side, the artful side, and and that 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 has an uh, an important value that people who buy products at the end of the day, this product has to fit into their lives. It has to be something they want, has to be something they want in their homes or wear on their bodies. So the emotional side has to be recognized. And the perhaps a lot of the tech companies are, are still a little bit, you know, engineering led. Mm-hmm. Right. Technology first. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, beyond your own, um, own your, the own projects you're working on, what What's interesting to you these days, either people or projects that are grabbing your attention? Yeah, I, I think I did some work with Sonos uh, down in Santa Barbara, and I think that's a great company and one to look out for. Um, what I like about there is that they're also sort of working in the in the world of physical and digital and, and really thinking about um, what that should be for their customer. They could have put the entire... Uh, product experience on a, on a digital interface, but instead they decided to put a lot of the interaction on the product, the physical product itself. And there's something really nice about walking up to a, a speaker and touching it to control your music, and rather than having to dive into your pocket for your for your smartphone every time. And I so I really liked what they're what they're doing there. Um, and they they have a new leader there, Tad Tulis, who's the VP of design. And I I really appreciated also his. Um, his emphasis on design uh, again about being uh, about the art side that that the pendulum in design, if you like, has swung uh, very very much towards sort of function and and this kind of cold sort of Germanic design, and that sort of pioneered a lot by Apple. But I think you know I think people are getting a little bit tired of that uh, mm-hmm. that engine that that sort of cold you know metallic. Um, perfect design, geometric design, and I think this the pendulum is swinging a little bit more back towards art and em- expression and emotion. And uh, so I think this, the work that's going on with Sonos right now and uh, is is and the, the under the leadership of the Tad is 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 really nice. Mm. Is in that area. Nice. Okay. Um, one final question: If you weren't if you weren't in design, what would you be doing? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, I think. I think uh, designers are, you know, fundamentally we, we like to create, we like to see other people use our product and, and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So I think there are a lot of other professions or a lot of areas that are similar to that. So I, I, I love to cook. And the reason I love to cook is I love to see the people I am cooking for enjoy the food that I cooked. Mm. Uh, it's not about, it's unlike, uh, you, know, you know, a lot of the fine arts, which is a, often a very self-involved or self a journey of self-discovery and expression. Uh, design is very much about designing some, something for somebody and seeing them use it and enjoy it. So if I could find another profession, it would be something like that. It would either be uh, being a cook or a chef or somebody, something where I could see somebody using the, the fruits of my labor. Mm, that's a good one. Well, thank you, Max, so much for joining me. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the O'Reilly Design Podcast through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn so you never miss an episode. <laughs>